a child looking at the book of 1 Peter. So if you'll take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Also, you can read along in the, uh, in the bulletin. It's printed for you. We are looking at, we're looking at 6 through, um, verses 6 through 12, but uh, we've printed uh, 3 starting with, with 3 because that gives us context. So I'm going to start reading at verse 3, but our focus will be on verses 6 uh, through 12 this morning. So before I read, let's pray yet again. Gracious God, thank you. Thank you not only um, for your love and your grace um, and, and what you have made and, and, and forming us and making us and, 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 and declaring your beauty, your glory and what you have made, but thank you for revealing your heart, revealing your nature, revealing the, 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 um, who you are um, in the scriptures, that you um, tell us of your glory um, and, and not just in what's been made, but in your grace and mercy and in your redemptive plan, in the, the full revelation of Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. We thank you that we have um, him recorded in scriptures, that he is not only the, 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 the subject of the scriptures, but the, the source. And we thank you. Thank you for revealing uh, yourself to us, uh, Lord Jesus. And Lord, help us to see you. Help us to see you as you are and be encouraged even in the trials and sufferings we face in life. Uh, work this in our hearts through the, the reading and preaching of your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Um, I, uh, I, uh, there's a movie that I really have enjoyed. I, I'm not saying it's not a Christian movie. I'm not necessarily endorsing it as your pastor. But there's an interesting movie called Stranger Than Fiction. Um, it's starring Will Ferrell. 
And it's not, it's not a normal Will Ferrell. If, you, if you're thinking Talladega Nights, don't, it's, not, it's not it. And I'm not endorsing that movie. Anyway, um, but Stranger Than Fiction is a, is, a, is a strange movie, but it's an interesting movie. It's, it's, a, it's a movie about a guy who um, who is living a very humdrum, ordinary, dare I say dull life as an accountant. No offense, accountants. Anyway... Um, some of you accountants may skydive and stuff. I don't know. But he, he's very just that's he's all about his work. And one day he wakes up and hears a voice narrating his life. He's starting to hear a voice in his head. And he's and it's narrating like him brushing his teeth and getting ready and getting on the bus to go to work. And he feels like he's going crazy. So he goes to a psychologist and the psychologist, I don't know what to do. It's you know, and he's like, Is it is it a, a weird voice? He's like, no, it's actually a good voice. Actually, the narration's pretty good. Like, it's, whoever's doing it, it sounds good. And so, and so finally, a, a therapist who was a little out there said, well, maybe instead of talking to me, you need to go see a literature professor. <laughs> it seems like you're in a story. And so he goes to see the literature professor who's played by, um, I can't remember now that I've said it. But anyway, uh, huh? Dustin Hoffman, yes. So it was a good movie, right? Um, you got it. And, and he goes, well, I think you're... Ma- Here's the thing that I'm seeing. What your goal needs to be now uh, is not how to get rid of this voice, but you need to figure out what your story is. Is your story a tragedy or a comedy? <laughs> that seems to be the, main, the most important thing for you right now. And uh, I, I love that. And, that, and I'm not going to give the movie away, but he's figuring out what is life about. And there's a lot of common grace in the movie. Uh, it's not a Christ-centered movie at all, but it asks that question, what is my life? Is it a tragedy or is it a comedy? Is it going to have a tragic ending or a happy ending? And I think that's where we all every day kind of think that. It's, that's the common grace of the story is what, what is life? What is it for? And some people just conclude that it's all for nothing. Some people conclude there is no hope. There's just pain and then you're dead. That's tragic. Um, but some people think there's going to be a happy ending and it's just gonna, rainbows and sunshine. And, and so it's like, wh- where, where are you? Where are we? And... Um, this passage deals with, right at the outset, the fact that there's tragedy, there's trial, there's suffering in life. And sometimes, if we're not careful, we start to think that the, our life, even as Christians, is, one, is a tragedy. But it's really not. It's not that. It's not, it's not tragedy and it's not even a, a comedy. It's not just a happy ending that we're going to somehow make all the right choices or overcome just in ourselves. It's something more. And so that's what I want us to look at this morning is how, how do we make sense of life, especially when there's evil and there's struggle, there's persecution, there's suffering in this world. And how does the gospel make sense of it? So there's really just two points this morning. One, I want us to see first, there's joy in trials... Because our hope is in Christ. And second, the second point is the promise of hope is fulfilled in Christ. So there's joy in trials because our hope is in Christ and the promise of hope is fulfilled in or by Christ.
So first, there's joy in trials because our hope is in Christ. He he starts off this uh, verse 6 with, In this you rejoice. And the this he's talking about is what we see in verses 3 through 5. That that it's this inheritance, this salvation. Um, uh, 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 Edmund Clowney says, Our salvation is our inheritance the full glory of being with the Lord forever. And that was what we saw last week as we, as we looked. It's this, it's this salvation that's been secured. We're secured. Our, our salvation is secured in heaven. Our salvation is the Lord Himself. And that is what we long for. That is, that is what's been assured and, and promised to us. Um, and our, our, our inheritance, our hope, is in being with Christ being with God, from whom all blessings flow. So, he says that, we understand that, but now he gets to really what's the main concern of the letter. Is how do we hold the fact that there's a promise of glory, and yet there are trials and sufferings that, that Christians are experiencing. And, uh, and he, says, he says there to what? That we are to um, rejoice. Be glad, you know, rejoice, even though we're enduring these trials. And, and it's, just, it's, just, it's just good for us to say and admit that's really hard to do. Uh, the, the reflection at the beginning of the, of the bulletin uh, says, Bless is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which he has promised to those who love him. So both First Peter and James and many other, pass- many other books of the Bible talk about this reality of, of trials and sufferings in the Christian life. Um, and we're told to, that there is joy in trials. And, and again, that, again, that on the face of it, that makes no sense. When we're going through something hard, when we're going through real struggle, it just feels like it feels like we're just living a tragedy. We feel like Hamlet or King Lear. Y'all all know those stories, anyway. So you know, we feel like um, what's another modern day tragedy? The Departed. That's a tragedy. Anyway, everybody dies. Anyway, I'm sorry, I gave it away. Okay, anyway, um, it's it's it feels that way. Where's the hope? But there is hope in the trials. There's joy in the trials. And we see four reasons. And I'm going to give credit to Edmund Clowney's commentary for, for uh, putting these together for me. Uh, but there's, there's four reasons in the text for why there's joy in trials. Here's the first one. Our hope in Christ points us beyond the trials. We can rejoice because, as it says, it lasts only a little while. For a little while. It's not forever. For those of you in Christ, it's the, the suffering, the trials are not going to last forever. First Peter 5, he goes on to say at the end of this book, he says in, in 5 verse 10, chapter 5 verse 10, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It won't last forever. For the Christian, it's not eternal suffering. It's momentary affliction followed by the eternal weight of glory. It's just for a while. And that's for the young people in the room who are just starting life, you're going, I feel like that's, you know, I'm at the very beginning. That seems like a long way off. And some of you who are older, maybe in your 80s and 90s, you've gone, it's gone by like that. 
And now that, that, that phrase from, from you know, that, that verse from Romans 8 where it says you won't even, it won't even compare. Like you're already starting to get that. Yeah, there's been hardship. Yeah, I'm going through it right now. But it's really just flown by. But glory is yet before us. And there is a finish line to, the, to running the race of the Christian life. There's a final bell to the good fight of faith. It's just for a little while. That's the first reason for hope. The second is, our faith is strengthened through our suffering. It's not just something to get through. It's not just something to get over. Actually, we're strengthened in it. He talks about it being like gold put in a, in a fire. Uh, that, that, that our faith is actually what? It's actually proven true. It's actually made more made more pure and refined through going through the suffering. Um, If your faith in mine is to endure, it must be grown. It must be cultivated. It must be purified. And he's saying, good news, God's doing it. God's doing that through the trials. God's doing that through the struggle. That's why we can rejoice in suffering. We said we want to endure. We want our faith to remain strong. We want to grow in grace and truth. And the way, one of the main ways he does that is through suffering. Coming to the end of ourselves. Being forced to look to him for his sustaining grace and his work in our lives. That's why in James 1, 2 through 4, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials in various kinds. Again, if he just stopped there, you would think James is insane. But he goes on, he says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He compares our faith, our souls, our faith, our, ourselves to gold. Right? See, gold is not put in the furnace because it's worthless trash, is it? No, it's put in there to make it more precious. To make it have a greater value. And that's, that's us. Your faith, you are more precious to God and more enduring than gold. Sometimes we feel like God's just put us in the trash heap to be burnt. It feels that way. You can take it that way. I'm really hurting. I'm really struggling. Internally, externally, circumstances, your own, your own mind. We have broken hearts, broken minds. Our thoughts betray us. There's sin in our hearts. We go, oh God, what, have you left me all alone? Even, even the psalm this morning talks about that. I feel like I'm in a besieged city. <laughs> and you know what that was like being in a besieged city? It, it was worse than COVID-19, a lockdown. There was no food. There's no water. The opposing army lets nothing nourishing or good get to you. You're just stuck in suffering. At least Walmart was open during COVID, right? He said, that's how it feels. But that fire is not, it's not the trash heap. It's the, it's the jeweler's furnace. It's to make us more refined, more beautiful. Make our faith more enduring. Uh, 
Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot, who struggled and went through many hardships herself, writes of Corey Tinboom. And if you don't know who that is, uh, her and her family were arrested for their part in saving Jewish lives in World War II. Most of her family survived, but four of them died in these concentration camps. And she says this of Corey Tinboom, Elizabeth Elliot. She goes, uh, Corey Tinboom was a woman of strong faith and a radiant face. Why? Not because she had not suffered, but because she had and had responded to that suffering in a concentration camp with trust. Learning the depth of human helplessness and weakness, she turned to her strong tower and he was faithful to his promises. Oh, I could never have survived, we say. Well, we were not asked to. But we could have if the Lord had allowed us to be put in her position and if we had responded as Corey did, looking to him for the next grace. I mean, of course, that we could have survived spiritually, the body they may kill, but so what? In other words, fear God and become fearless. Nothing in heaven or earth or hell can scare you then. Elizabeth Elliot recognized that kind of faith because she herself had endured much suffering. She, was, she went with her husband, as you know, to go share the gospel with a tribe in Ecuador. And that, that very tribe killed her husband. And she goes back later with her daughter to minister to that very same tribe. And there's conversions. And there's, again, the thing that, the thing that Charlie prayed about. She understood that. It was the suffering that, that grew and strengthened and proved her faith genuine. Trials produce a more pure and genuine faith. So that's the, that was the second thing. The third reason we can have joy in trials is that enduring trials will result in an eternal reward. There is an eternal reward that comes for us when we endure to the end. Um, there is... A, there is there is glory and honor to be found. There's, there's being with Christ when, when, it, when, 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 the, when life comes, uh, this life is over. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, for, in this, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That's, the, that's what is coming. That's, that's the result. Not just that the suffering is over. And we enter into a painless existence, but we enter into a glorious. It's not just there's no more negatives. It's all positive. It's all glory. It's all as it should be. We experience that. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that, and I talked about this earlier, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. There'll be a glory revealed in a new heavens and a new earth, but a glory that we partake in as we are made perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. As we uh, are sinless and deathless and painless. Like, no more saints, no more hurts, no more arthritis. But also no more sin in our hearts. This is the eternal reward. And the final thing I want you to realize, there's, why, do we, why do we have joy uh, in suffering? Uh, well, well, first, because of uh, there's hope. Our hope in Christ points us beyond the trial. Our faith is strengthened through suffering. Thirdly, enduring trials results in an eternal reward. But fourth, we will be with Christ 
and share in His glory. You see, when you think about reward, you think it feels like something you earn, something you win, something you've done. But this reward is not earned by you and by me. It's received by grace. It's not an enduring faith doesn't get the reward. It's, it's about having a faith that keeps on looking to Christ who has earned the glory, who has earned and secured the inheritance for us. He, he talks about the praise and glory and honor that comes um, uh, at that time. Look at that in verse 7. Um, he says, uh, so that the tested generous of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm convinced that's not talking about praise and glory and honor to the tested faith, but praise and glory and honor goes to Jesus, who is the giver, sustainer, and object of their faith. The uh, giver, sustainer, and object of our faith. Clowney writes, if we receive crowns of glory, it will be our joy to cast them at the feet of the Savior. And that's the picture of the 24 elders in Revelation 4.10 as they're gathered around the throne and they, what do they do with their crowns? They put them at His feet. This crown comes from you. You have earned it. All praise and glory go to you. And though they, the 24 elders who represent the Old Testament church, the New Testament church, all God's people, the, are, the crowns are cast at Jesus' feet. Clowney goes on to say, When Jesus Christ is revealed, the gold of our faith will shine to His praise. That was my favorite line for my studying this week. The gold of of our faith will shine to His praise. Right now this seems all future, right? I take joy because of what will happen. I take joy in what I will experience. I take joy in the fact that I will see Jesus. But He talks about joyous hope, not just for the future, but He also applies it to now. It has real impact for the here and now. Look at what He says here at the end of this first section. Uh, though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him. What's the, what's the tense of the verb there? It's present tense. It's not future. It's present. That All this good news, this wondrous work of God and what He has done and what He, will, what he has secured for us, this inheritance that is secure in heaven for us, produces in us a present tense love for Him now. A present tense belief in Him now. And a present tense rejoicing in Him now. That's what we've been doing. That's what we've been doing here. That's what we do every Sunday. That's what we do when you have your quiet time. It's not just, well, it's going to get better. One day God's going to be good. He's good right now. We love Him right now because He's first loved us. This is not something we're waiting on. It's something we have. And so, though we do not experience the kingdom to come in its fullness, but we are in the kingdom now, though we do not experience the culmination of our salvation in its fullness, we do experience it now. You and I really are filled with, can be filled because of the gospel with a, a joy that's inexpressible and glory filled. 
here and now, in the trenches, in the suffering, in the hurts. Because Christ is not only just coming, He will come, but He is right now on the throne, living and reigning, loving you, securing you, interceding for you. He has done it. And we live and bask in the context of His love and grace right now. Even though we haven't seen Him, even though we can't see Him now, we know Him. And we know Him because He has been revealed to us. Through the Scriptures, through the Spirit, and we know this God of our salvation, the God who's, who's, who's living who's reigning, our Savior, our King, is now, has now, we, we experience right now the salvation of our souls. And, and again, the connection to the suffering. Uh, Elizabeth Elliot wrote of herself, she said, the deepest things I have learned in my own life have come from the deepest suffering. And out of the deepest waters and the hottest fires have come to the deepest things I know about God. So even, even the yeah, our, our hope, our joy is looking to the future, but we know God's sustaining. We know the, our belief is strengthened and our love is proved more real because He walks with us through the hard things and we realize He is faithful. We not only know it from the Scriptures, we not know it from the preaching of the Word, we know it from experience that He walks with us, that He is present. We can rejoice in trials because our hope is in Christ. Here's the second thing. The promise of hope is fulfilled in Christ. And we see that in these last three verses, 10 through 12. Peter now wants us to remember that the Christ of glory is also the Christ of the cross. That this salvation that we have, concerning this salvation, he wants us to realize that it's all about Christ. Yes, the glory that we will receive, but look at verse 11. They were working to predict the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. That the only way you and I can share in this glorious glory of Christ, the only way you and I can have this, this, this assurance of salvation in the present presence is because Christ has suffered. Christ suffered first before He ascended into glory. He came down from glory. He came down from the presence of God. He humbled himself and took the form of a servant. And he then suffered to the point of even death, death on a cross for you and me. And so it's not just that there's this, this pattern in Scripture of suffering and then glory that we like see in, in Ecclesiastes. And we see in Job of you know Solomon struggling to figure out what life's about and suffering and, and, and finding emptiness and emptiness and emptiness and then coming to realizing what it was about. Job who had everything taken away. It's not just a pattern. It is, it's, it's, the, it's the path of God Himself. It's the path of our Savior. And it's not just this isn't something new. He talks about it that the prophets have been trying to long, figure this out. What, what, how would it, would it come about that, that this glory, we can share in it? But 
It, but it's here. It's, it's, it's in the Scripture. It's, it's in the life of Christ. And, and remember, you know, that Peter didn't get it. Peter didn't understand that the suffering comes before the glory. Remember, he says, you are the Christ. You're Peter. You don't have to die, Jesus. You're Satan. It, it was, you know, remember that? It was just, get behind me, Satan. No. I have to, this is my path. This has to work. Remember, even after his death, they didn't get it. He'd been talking about it many, many, for over a year. I've got to die. I've came to die. Like, no, no, no. He must be talking figuratively. This must be one of those weird parables he's saying. And then remember, he appears to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he says, uh, was it not necessary? This is verse 26 of Luke 24. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. You see, God's glory through the redemption of His people is the goal, not just of the New Testament, but the Old Testament promises as well. Starting in Genesis 3.15. That even there, there's, there's, there's suffering and then victory. The serpent would strike the, his heel and he would crush his head. The seed of the woman would bring about defeat of the, seed, of the, of the serpent and his seed. There it is. There's suffering in the victory. Um, we see that, that it was through the, this, this suffering messed up people, the lineage of Abraham, that the blessing would come to all the nations. And there was a lot of this. You know, you read Genesis, it reads like something off Jerry Springer. It's a lot of messed up stuff. But God works. If y'all haven't read, seen Jerry Springer, kids, don't watch it. Don't look it up. Anyway, uh, it, but it's, 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 some, it's a lot of ugly stuff. But uh, through this suffering and trials, God's working through. Uh, you see it in, in later on as, you, as, uh, as uh, Solomon's dedicating the temple. You know, again, through, again, his... He prays that all the nations would come and be a part and receive the glory of, of, of Yahweh. And you can read that prayer in, in 1 Kings 8, 41-43. So there, all this is about God's glory being manifested in and through His people. But how would the glory come? And that's when you get into Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and they're talking about the Messiah. They're talking about, and the other minor prophets as well, that there's going to be this king that's going to reign on the throne forever that's promised in 1 Samuel uh, 7. And, and, or 2 Samuel. Anyway. Anyway, you, so I, I messed that up. Anyway, it's in there. So um, I should put that in my notes. But... And you have these, all these prophecies talking about the king who would reign on the throne forever. You can go to Isaiah 9. And this is when we're getting, coming close to Christmas time. It says what? Isaiah 9, 6-7. For a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And, and there's, this, there's this longing for the uh, anointed one, the, the king who would reign forever, the, the great prophet who Moses foretold, the king who David foretold. He's going to come and he's going to reign and it's all going to be okay. But at the same time, there's this other prophecy that for a long time the rabbis thought were two different people. There's also this suffering servant. 
In the same book, in Isaiah uh, 53, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before it shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, he was centered, he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be counted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities." The prophets received this message. They, they prophesied it. But then for generations they wondered, who are these two people? Who's this great king and who's this suffering servant? And then we realize it's one and the same. They long to understand. They long to see. They long to know the day. But the day had come. In Peter's day, he had seen him. He had seen the glory of the Messiah and he had seen the suffering of the Messiah. He had seen him come in, in transfiguration and, be, and honest, obviously be the one that's longed for. Then he saw him bleed to death, broken and beaten on the cross. The day had come. Christ had come. And he come to suffer. And he, just as he explained to those disciples on the road to Emmaus, the, he said the prophets predicted, they understood, but they didn't understand fully. And they were doing that and making this known, not only for themselves, but he says, Peter, for us, for you, the first readers, for us, the readers now, in the 21st century, this, this word has been going forth, this plan, this truth has been, has been recorded. And it's not only just that that here's here's the crazy thing it's not only just that Jesus is the subject of these prophecies of the old testament he is the source do you see that that this comes through the spirit of christ that the spirit of christ was pre- he's preaching himself throughout the ages throughout the, all the prophets it's, it's the spirit of jesus the spirit of the son coming through loud and clear and now it has come And now it's being proclaimed by the apostles and the preachers of the good news in the first century. And now it's still being proclaimed in in the 21st century. The same word revealed by the Spirit of Christ, the story of suffering, the suffering servant that died for you and me and brought us into His glory. This plan has been the same plan. This isn't plan B. This is God's plan from the beginning. And we know in our struggle, we know in our suffering that God's working it and using it for our good. We also know now that we're walking in the steps of our Savior. The steps of suffering and then glory. And it's not a new story. It's not a new idea. It's been there. It's the same promise. And the promise has been fulfilled. This glorious unfolding of the redemptive plan that has been achieved through the suffering and glory of Christ has the full attention even of the angels themselves. You know, I've referenced a few movies in the sermon. You know what has the full attention? There's no flipping channels in heaven. 
There's no need. The most wonderful story is un- has unfolded and is unfolding. And the angels long to see the culmination of God's plan of redemption. And there was a thought I had. Aren't the angels supposed to be looking at the throne? Aren't the angels supposed to be looking at God and His glory? Does this contradict? They're like, no, 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 God, we're watching something. No, no, no. Yeah, we know you're there. No. The glory of God is most manifest in the establishment of His people and the redemption of His church. To look at this plan unfold is to behold the glory of God. It is His glory to refine you and purify you. He's the one that determines, it says, if necessary. Who decides that? God. And if you're in something now where you're struggling, it's necessary. And He's chosen, He's determined that. Not because He's trashed you, not because He's thrown you away, but because He loves you and He's refining you and I'm preaching to myself. Because I struggle to believe it. That He loves me that much. You and I are more precious to Him than gold. And He is fulfilling the plan, not a new plan, but the plan from the beginning and we see carried out by the very life of our Savior. There's suffering and then glory. Glory forever and ever. A life in Christ does not result in tragedy and not comedy, but the long-anticipated glory of Christ. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank You for Your Word. Help us to rejoice even in suffering. For you are at work and you've gone before us. May your scriptures that are filled with this very truth of your suffering and then your glory, the reality of your victory, may they encourage us. May we know that these sufferings are but a little while. May we know that they are working to strengthen our faith. May we know that There is a reward that's secured in heaven for us. And may we know that that reward is you and that you have gone in this path before us to make all this possible. Encourage us, strengthen us by whatever means you deem necessary. And Lord, I pray now that this this table that we're about to partake of as we join together as your people would encourage us of that. That you, even even in the, the trials and the struggles of life, you continually are with us. You have not abandon us, but you're refining us. You're making us more and more fit for glory, fit for heaven. And we are secure in you, in your suffering, in your sacrifice, in your victory. May our security be there, even in the hurt, even in the trials. May this meal draw us closer to you and closer to one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.